Welcome to the Luchi and Muttons podcast. I am Surabhi and I run Luchi and Muttons Dog Behavior and Nutrition. I work as a nutrition consultant and behavior consultant for dogs and I'm based out of Gurgaon in India. I work very closely with pet parents to help them meet their dog's needs and build a relationship that is founded in empathy and science. Welcome to episode number 7. In today's episode I wanted to talk about the fuss around calm dogs and address a few misconceptions that keep coming up with this. I've written about the importance of calm dogs of calming them down in a couple of different ways and each time I'm often met with similar responses and so I thought what better than a podcast episode to really address them fully. In my behavior consultations a foundational pillar that I work with is helping clients recognize calm and regulated behaviors versus frenzied behaviors in their dogs understand both through science and observation the impact of long term frenzied behaviors on their dog's physical and behavioral health but also share with them the indispensable benefit of dogs engaging in calm interactions living in a calm environment and learning how to regulate themselves Now the problem is that when i mention calm people often assume i mean indifferent or a dog who's devoid of experiencing any positive emotional states like happiness or excitement or joy one of the common comments i've received when i talk about this is oh but i want my dogs to experience excitement or i want my dogs to experience joy and calmness doesn't allow for that but that's really not what calm means When I look at the definition of calm it means essentially to be peaceful to be quiet and most importantly to be without worry and I'd like that not just for my dogs but even for myself nowhere does the definition or even I for that matter imply that being calm means that our dogs are without happiness or excitement or quote unquote positive emotional states And so I feel like there are two pieces to this, right? Think of a dog that's excessively barking or a dog that is repeatedly biting, a dog that's pulling on the leash or a dog that's extremely hyperactive or jumping at everyone they meet to the point that people are falling down. These aren't necessarily calm behaviors and they're not bad behaviors, right? In different contexts they could be stress responses and those responses are natural. instead of correcting them or interrupting them we need to look at what's causing them and providing the dog with strategies to regulate themselves go better and so on and and offer options essentially for safety in the moment but also look at ways to support the dog better in the long run and meet those unmet needs that could be a result of where these behaviors are stemming from in my consultations i also talk about the importance of calm dogs primarily because some of the environments or i some of the environments that i see dogs live in or even the interactions that i often see them having with clients they're not necessarily peaceful or calm and they often contribute to quote unquote problem behaviors that we end up seeing and so i see a direct link between what the dog is experiencing or how much time the dog is spending in certain kinds of interactions and activities and the consequent behavioral responses to that and so i want to look at you know the physiology of this a little bit because again i feel like it's important to understand how the body really works um and so when we look at the workings of the nervous system very specifically 
you know, traditionally we've seen the autonomic nervous system as two as a two branch system, right? Consisting of your sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And I quote this from um, an article that I recently read. This perspective of the nervous system talks about sympathetic arousal, commonly known as the stress response, which involves the body's ability to generate energy in order to meet the physiological or emotional demands of a particular situation. It is associated essentially with the ability to uh, sense capability and agency in taking effective action. Now, the sympathetic nervous system does not only refer to negative stressors, but also refers to more pleasant experiences of arousal. Think excitement, think play, think physical activity. You know, we also know that sympathetic arousal is involved in eustress, which is often seen as a more positive state of stress that induces hope and a sense of purposefulness. However, it is important to note that everyone experiences stressors very, very differently. Right? And so what is pleasant for one may be extremely unpleasant for another. And the example that I like to give when I talk about this is really about going up on stage. Right, So for some people, going up on stage can be extremely nervous, exciting. Uh, but for someone else, it could be extremely anxiety-inducing. And this, I find, is fundamental and critical to understanding the impact of events, interactions, our lifestyle, our environment, on our dog's nervous systems. We cannot decide what feels too much, too little, or just about right for them. Our dogs give that feedback to us repeatedly. And they do that through both subtle and explicit behaviors. And I've just found that, you know, it's a skill that we need to learn. It's a skill that we need to get better at, at being able to read those subtle shifts in behavior and, able, and, and being able to sort of contextualize some of the more, you know, quote-unquote, bigger or quote-unquote, problematic behaviors that we end up seeing. I also find that blanket statements like all dogs need a game of fetch or all dogs should engage in food puzzles are extremely problematic because that's just not true. For every dog, the same experience could result in very different responses in the nervous system, consequently leading to very different behavioral responses. And so it's important to see the impact of this kind of arousal in the individual context of each and every dog, right? Again, if I had to think of a human example, think of meditation. For some, that stillness can provide relief and peace and the opportunity to connect with oneself. But for others, like myself on a lot of days, it can be extremely activating and actually lead me to feeling very uneasy and uncomfortable. And so it doesn't help to say that meditation is great for everyone. Sure, there are benefits to it, but for different people along the way, it may not have the same kind of benefits. And I find that that's true for even experiences and environments and recommendations that we make for dogs. So interestingly, I found myself immersed a lot recently in literature on you know, polyvagal theory. And, and I understand that it's met with a little bit of a raised eyebrow uh, because of its um, you know, lack of scientific proof per se. But I actually found the literature extremely insightful and I found that it offered a nuance to understanding the complexity of this relationship between the nervous system and these behavioral responses. So for those of you who are new to this, this is a quick and simple introduction. 
The polyvagal theory suggests that the nervous system continues to have two branches. You have the sympathetic nervous system where arousal of various kinds stem from. And so this again includes both fun as well as survival activation. And so it's helpful to think of the nervous system as like a gas pedal that's giving the body some momentum. And then we have two branches within the parasympathetic nervous system, something that our traditional symptoms something that our traditional systems didn't take into account. And so within the parasympathetic nervous system, we have the dorsal vagal nerve, which is largely responsible for immobilization. And yes, immobilization is, is you know, can be associated with the freeze response, but it also refers to just generally slowing down, right? So think of activities that you're engaging in that require you to just slow down. So it could be resting, sleeping, you know, digesting. Um, and, and it's helpful to think of this dorsal vagal nerve as a foot break or in some situations and some extreme situations, like an emergency handbrake. And I thought that this was a really interesting metaphor because it sort of tells you the kind of situation you could be in where you need a handbrake and you need an emergency handbrake and what that means for that dorsal vagal nerve to be completely dialed up to cause that kind of a response or a reaction. The second branch of the parasympathetic nervous system is the ventral vagal complex or the ventral vagal nerve, which supports slowing down the heart and seeking connection. Um, an article I read described this beautifully in the context of horses, which again, I find very applicable to dogs as well. Freedom, friends and forage is possible in the dorsal vagal or ventral vagal state. Essentially, what that means is these connections in the sense of social uh, relationships and the sense of safety that perhaps emerges from these social connections is possible when the PSN stone in the body is active. And so, again, helpful to think of the ventral vagal nerve as another important foot break. So, you know, the best way to sort of describe is, is to actually take the example of dogs playing. And, and I love this example because just a few weeks ago, I think as part of a, you know, Parks Education Conclave, we were talking about play amongst dogs. And I thought this was a great connection right there. But Anyway, coming back to the example, imagine all of these branches, right? You have the sympathetic branch, you have the dorsal vagal, you have the ventral vagal, all of these branches as dials really that go, you know, high and low, up and down. And so in a situation, like in a context like play between two dogs who know each other, who get along well with each other, the ventral vagal nerve acts as a foot break that tempers the SNS, that's the sympathetic nerve, right? Because remember, SNS arousal can also happen with something really exciting or happy. And so if this SNS is not really tempered, then it can turn into a fight or flight situation. So your ventral vagal nerve acts as a foot break, just enough for play to feel like fun, right? During this interaction, if the other, in this case, the other dog, uh, that, you know, maybe your dog is playing with is receptive, supportive, and is also calm because of their ventral vagal dial working properly, 
then automatically you have two dogs whose nervous systems are calming down together and they are able to remain in social connection. And I thought this was a really interesting one because it also tells us a little bit about what co-regulation between two dogs during play could look like. And so I think something that's coming to mind is really how, you know, Luchi and Mutton, my own two dogs, used to play and play now. And so, you know, Luchi can get really mouthy when she initiates play and she has this, you know, big hop, skip and jump dance um, that she does when she wants to play with a dog. And now Mutton will, you know, Mutton's gotten used to it. So Mutton also creates space. Her, her instant reaction is to sort of, you know, build a little bit of distance between her and Luchi during this uh, monkey dance that Luchi is doing. Um, and communicate via a ton of calming signals to get her to calm down as well as herself, you know. Um, and what I've started noticing is Luchi responding to that, right? Um, Luchi picking up on those signals and slowing down in how she is reaching out to her or, for example, even finding another activity that matches that energy because Mutton's not able to match that energy. And that, to me, is really complex, but it's also incredible to see because three years ago, when we got Mutton home, this kind of thinking, this kind of decision-making in the moment, this kind of, you know, um, being attuned with what's going on in their own bodies, what they need, processing all of this information, right? All of these incredible senses of neuroception, interoception, extraoception, like none of that was happening, right? Um, it was essentially, you know, think of Luchi with her, uh, you know, boundless energy, mutton picking up on that energy, neither of them in a place, by the way, where they could regulate themselves and just, and, and, and essentially this SNS tone for both of them, like just going untempered second after second after second. And invariably, a couple of times that they have played that kind in that kind of manner, they have ended up fighting. And I see this happen with so many of the multi-dog households that I consult with where, you know, two dogs are playing together and suddenly they're fighting. And my clients will often come back and tell me, I don't know what happened. They were just playing and now they're fighting. And I feel like this is a great example because it tells me what's going on in the nervous system, right? What is functioning properly? What in, in the context of polyvagal theory, what is the role of the ventral vagal nerve uh, along with the SNS in a context like play, which is, you know, quote unquote, positive arousal. And so at no point in time, when I talk about calm dogs, do I for instance, say the dogs shouldn't play or shouldn't be playful. I have seen Luchi freely run around and jump about and play with street dogs around here. And I would still call that her being calm, but also I would still call that actually her being regulated because she's also being supported and co-regulated by other dogs around her who are very calm and regulated. Right? But we have to consider that for some dogs, play alone can be extremely arousing. Right, Play alone can really fill their cup up 
to the point where their ventral vagal dial isn't working as effectively. And so even for some dogs, play with other dogs or play with dogs who are not able to regulate themselves or who are not able to process that kind of feedback and give feedback can prove to be extremely scary and unsafe. And so it's important to remember that what can shift a nervous system from sensing safety to sensing threat can be incredibly subtle. And sometimes we're able to pick up on it, sometimes we're not. But I think that's really where the skill of observation comes handy. That's also really where I think that this awareness and knowledge of how our nervous systems influence our behavioral responses is helpful because when we do see incidents like these, it allows us to go back to saying, oh, this was perhaps the workings of what was what we couldn't see that led to that particular response. And so I find that, you know, again, something as simple as play, right? How it can continue to be really exciting and fun and positive versus become a situation for fight or flight is completely dependent, like I said, on each individual's sense of neuroception, interoception, which is how they process internal cues and exteroception, which is how they process external cues. And if there are, you know, if there are, if there are faults or if there's faulty working, uh, and again, I know that I sound very like I'm using very machine-like language, but it's, again, I'm struggling to find the right language for this. So excuse the machine-like language. But if we find that there are issues with, you know, processing of this for whatever reason, then something even as happy as play can feel very threatening and unsafe. And so when I talk about the importance of a calm dog and calming our dogs down, I'm not talking about them being devoid of emotional states. I'm also not talking about preventing or avoiding any sort of arousal. But I am talking about checking in with our dogs, right? And I am talking about recognizing when some arousal could feel too much for a dog, even if it's something that brings a lot of excitement. And again, you know, I'd love to share an example. Um, Mutton was a pandemic adoption. So, you know, she spent the first 18 months, well, I would say close to 18 months with very limited, um, you know, contact with humans outside of uh, the folks who were living with her at home. But as the, you know, lockdowns eased and as restrictions lifted up, we did have more people coming home. And people coming home was very, very arousing for her. It was very cup filling. I like to use, it's a, it's a Parks uh, terminology, cup filling. Um, Sindhur explains it incredibly. So if you have done the Canine Essentials 101 with her, you will know what I'm talking about. If not, then doing the Canine Essentials 101 is a good idea. Um, but coming back, people coming home was really cup filling. So she would get really excited and she would, you know, um, pace around very excitedly. She would consistently, you know, continuously like paw them. Uh, she would find lots of ways to seek connection. Sometimes she would sort of, you know, not really jump at them, but would sort of place her front paws on them. Um, and all of this, you know, from one point 
from one perspective can seem very cute and can seem very affectionate and can seem very loving. But when you pack it with her inability to regulate herself in that moment to the point where, let's say, if by mistake, you know, Luchi stepped on her or Luchi came in her way, she would immediately react and snap at her and grab her and it could escalate into a fight. Or if there was food involved anywhere, she would not be able to regulate the intensity of her, um, you know, grabbing the food. If by chance Luchi was eating food in the same space uh, and Luchi dropped the food, then, you know, Mutton would rush to that piece of food, pick it up. And if Luchi by chance tried to get out, even so much as moved in that space, she would feel so threatened that she would snap and bark at her and it would again turn into a fight. Right. So I think that when we see that together, I think it's helpful to think about what is the impact that this particular moment is having on my dog's state of mind, is having on their nervous system, is having on their behaviors. Are they still able to regulate themselves and think clearly and process information and respond effectively to communication around them, especially nonverbal communication? Or has, you know, arousal completely taken over their mind and their ability to process any information? Um, and so I think that, that that to me is really important. And that to me is really the crux of looking at this conversation on calm dogs. And actually, as I'm talking, I'm realizing that maybe it's also time to change my own phrasing. Maybe when I'm talking about calm dogs, what I'm essentially talking about is just well-regulated dogs. And that kind of regulation in dogs takes changes and takes awareness of what is causing dysregulation in dogs. And I think that we all deserve to have environments and have relationships and engage in activities that have a calming effect on our bodies, that provide some sort of peace, some sort of quiet time, that don't always fill us with, you know, worry and this sort of overflowing emotional state consistently, right? I think I completely agree with the fact that of course, I want my dogs to be happy. And of course, I want my dogs to feel really excited. And they do. But I also know that if they're consistently feeling overexcited and it's coupled with hyperactive behaviors or it's coupled with this inability to process information, then perhaps that's just information for me to think about and, and hold um, and may not require action, but it's just something to hold and think about. And so I think that when I talk about this idea of calm dogs. And when I talk about this importance of calming dogs down, I'm essentially talking about how do we build a holistic environment to enhance, I think, these additional senses for a dog, right? The, the senses beyond the five senses and the senses of that neuroception, interoception, extraception. How do we help leverage that PSNS tone in the body and how do we make sure that all of those different dials, whether it's in the traditional system of the nervous system or it's in the polyvagal context, but how do we make sure that the foot brakes that are critical are working effectively and are working well um, and also are not 
are not being put in a situation where one of them has to become an emergency handbrake, but they're just doing the job right. They're helping us slow down. They're helping us. They're helping our dogs slow down. They're helping our dogs feel safer. Um, and I think most importantly, how do we help our dogs? you know, cope in difficult situations, cope in situations that feel too overwhelming because our dogs are going to have those situations. Um, And again, I don't think anywhere do I mention the fact that we have to avoid those situations all the time because sometimes they are unavoidable. But how can we build that really strong foundation for both my dog and I to know that when we are faced in an extremely overwhelming situation where these SNS, this SNS dial cannot be tempered, we know what to do to come back to safety. We know what to do to come back to that sense of connection uh, with people and animals around us, but also most importantly, with connection to our own selves. All right, so that was it for this episode. I hope I didn't ramble on too much. Um, and I hope that, you know, you had, you're walking away with some insights and something meaningful. Um, if you are, then please leave me a comment or let me know what stood out to you, what stayed with you. What are you more curious about? Um, I'd love to have a conversation. I'd love to have a discussion. And yeah, let's learn together. All right. Thank you so much for listening in. I will see you in the next episode, which should hopefully come in next week. But till then, uh, please take care and lots of love to your dogs from Luchi, Mutton and I.